So with us today, we've got quite an accomplished guest. She's the founder of MythWorks, the co-founder of Mythic Challenges, and the co-founder of Hollywood Master Seminars. She's the author of the books, Show Me the Love, Beyond the Hero's Journey, and Power of the Dark Side, which means she's written on a multitude of story subjects, including mythic structure, character motivation, antagonism, romantic comedy, and symbols, images, and codes. So we're quite lucky to have her here today. Welcome to the show, Pamela J. Smith, and we're happy to have you and excited to get some storytelling wisdom. Well, thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be invited, and it's always a pleasure to talk to people who have a, a real serious, engaging, and yet uh, fun-hearted approach to story, because thank it's you. so very important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So... I know MythWorks is a consulting company, and so I can only imagine that in your years of consulting, you've seen every kind of story, both good and bad, which means I'm sure you've got a fine-tuned intuition about what separates a timeless story from just maybe simply a decent story. And it's a fairly open-ended question, but I'm curious to know your thoughts and experiences. What do you think makes a great story? Okay. Um... Excellent question, and all of us should be asking ourselves that who presume to write stories or have anything to do with story, because our resources are limited and we need to be focused on what is going to make the biggest impact or be the most entertaining or the most engaging, whatever. And I, I would start, though, by going back to the definition of myth, mm. that myths are the stories that we tell ourselves to explain the world around us and within us. Love so that. stories that explain the world around us and the world within us, and let us not forget, stories are also used, myths are also constructed to justify the worlds we have created. Mm. You know, and people come up with, I mean, just look at companies come up with their founding myth. You know, we started in a garage, even if they didn't, right? Oh, well, absolutely. I, it reminds me of um, the Walt Disney Company. They, they sell the, the story of Walt now. That's kind of one of their, um, their, the creation myth of Walt Disney coming to California and, um, you know, with no money in his, in his pocket and starting the company. It's, it's a great creation myth. It is. It is. Um, I like to remind us that um, the wonderful story of the Aeneid, of Prince Aeneas coming from the burning ruins of Troy mm. to go found Rome and, you know, stopped along the way and had a great adventure in Carthage. And it was, it's a wonderful, wonderful story, real classic. And it was commissioned by the Emperor Augustus. And he said to the poet Virgil, we need a creation myth. And we need to look really, really good. And we need to be better than the Greeks. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. So that whole classic epic tale was uh, commissioned as a creation myth for the Roman Empire. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. And, so it, well. and there's a lot about um, identity then in myths, uh, kind of finding your identity, solidifying your identity, making that clear to others. Yes, I was pleased that when you first contacted me, you mentioned the Inner Drives book about the chakras. And um, I think more and more people are familiar with what the chakras are yeah. now. But, you know, basically they are physiological, psychological, and philosophical uh, centers 
within us and just physically. Usually I have a, a corpse that I can lay out on the table during this seminar, you know, and, and cut down the spinal cord and open it up and show you where the solar plexus nerves are and, you know, where the throat chakra is. But that's the physiological part. But each of these gatherings of nerves along our actual body connect to endocrine glands that put out hormones that alter the way we feel and the way we act. And most of us can see that happening just in, you know, having a cup of coffee, which stimulates the adrenals, which is the root chakra, which gets you going. It's true. And, yeah. And then on the downside, when the root chakra is overstimulated, then you get stress because your adrenals are working overtime. So these are real physiological centers. And the psychological impact is that, you know, the hormones, whether it's sex hormones or uh, fear or uh, aspiration um, with the endorphins, okay? So people over the eons started noticing this and in very sophisticated ways, uh, mostly in um, Egypt, India, uh, quite a bit in China, people who studied these began to put philosophy into it also mm. and saw that you have a, a different approach to the world depending on where you're focused in your own chakra system. How does that relate to story? A lot of the really lasting myths are the ones that will take a character's transformational arc from one chakra to the next. Interesting. It will show how they rise up or fall down or are tempted or are knocked down. One of the best examples of that to me is um, the movie Gladiator. Yes. Where at the beginning of it, Russell Crowe, the protagonist, is way up at the crown chakra. He's a general in the Roman Empire. He's about to become maybe the emperor. He's at the top. And then it's all knocked down. And he goes way down into the, the root chakra, which is the lowest one. And it's all about sheer survival. Interesting. And, yeah. And so he does this, this major chakra drop, which is also reflected in a lot of, a lot of metaphysics too. And uh, then he spends the rest of the story rising up from sheer survival to uh, getting back into training, to getting a small group around him, to becoming more of a leader again, and then ultimately, you know, makes his way back up and does an act of sacrifice to help save so many people. He it's, does an act for the greater good for the greater number. Yeah, I've heard you talk about sacrifice uh, before. So what would you say is sacrifice's importance in, in writing a great story? Ah, okay. This will come back to a little formula I like to use called SDS. And I, to me, every great story has to have these three elements and have them combine with each other in a line of integrity, sympathy, danger, salvation. Hmm. And so at the beginning of the story, we need to gain sympathy with the protagonist. Or as, you know, uh, Blake Snyder says, so well, he saved the cat. Right. 
you know, make them look good there at the beginning or make us feel really sorry. For, but engage us, get that sense of empathy, sympathy with the character. And even if it's, if, if you've got an anti-hero story, even if it's, what the heck makes them like that? Yes. How could they possibly do all those things? It's our curiosity. Yeah. And a, a wonderful uh, Netflix series that does that so well is Godless. Interesting. I haven't seen that yet. I hadn't either. And wow, it is engaging storytelling. It's very well woven. And the revelations that come about for the various characters over the seven episodes, I believe. So give us sympathy. Connect us with your character. And then the danger. Okay, what's the problem? What's standing in the way of their goals? You know, yeah. I don't know if this is just basic, but this is shorthand for it. The SDS, sympathy, and then danger. It needs to be appropriate danger, right? You know, it's the old story of, well, who's your best antagonist? Uh, well, it should be somebody kind of equal to the protagonist. Yes. Or you have Bambi versus Godzilla. Yeah, someone who can get right at their weakness and poke holes in them. Yeah. And is somehow a reflection of them. Cool. Like you see in Dark Knight. Mm. Where you've got, you know, um, both sides of these rather tricky issues represented. Yes. Yeah. So the danger then needs to be something that is along the same lines as why we are sympathetic with this person and with their goals. And then the salvation well, that's the resolution. It's uh, hopefully the protagonist reaching their goals. But even if it isn't, we should know what the goals were so that we know what they lost. And that's the tragedy part, you know. If it's a, a drama and or a comedy, and maybe they, they reach their goals. They get their salvation. If not, and it's tragedy, we still want to learn the lesson. Yes. What, where did they go wrong? What was that misstep? What would heaven have looked like if they'd made it? We have a glimpse. They don't know. They yearn still. And that leaves us with that, aww, kind of feeling. So sympathy, danger, salvation, just broad strokes, but they need to be aligned with each other and have that, uh, you all probably talk a lot about in story meetings and, and um writers groups often talking about the setup and the payoff of course yeah yeah and so this this incorporates that to the um, sds i love that sds i mean any sort of tools that we can have while we're writing to keep these important points in our mind is, is incredibly helpful um yes, yes. And, and so on sacrifice i thought i also heard you talk about Sacrifice being putting someone, moving someone uh, through different planes or, or um, oh, down. Yeah, levels of, levels of consciousness. Yeah. Uh, chakra centers. Okay. And the thing about sacrifice, let me back up a second. Sure. There's, um, in the chakra system, most people are familiar with the seven chakras, including the heart chakra. But in a little bit of it, when you go a little bit deeper, the solar plexus is actually divided into two. And you've got the lower solar plexus and the aspirational solar plexus. Mm. And the lower solar plexus is all about 
me. That'd be me, the fabulous me. Oh, did I mention how wonderful I am? The ego-driven me, yeah. Yes. And, uh, and my little group of friends here and the rest of you, eh, we don't care much. It's separatist. It's egotistical. Mm-hmm. On the downside, it's uh, cowardly or too shy. And on the other end of the spectrum, it's a bullying thing. Mm. The trick is to get a nice balance and have a stable, confident ego, uh, maybe small e. Right. And then the aspirational solar plexus is when you start, instead of going like this and eh, you start going, ah, let's open up. Let's bring more people in. Let's aspire to be better than we are. Mm. And you see this a lot in political divides where you have, you know, whether it's an ancient system or today, you usually have a, a political divide. People are in opposition. Some of them are wanting to be separatist and controlling and others are wanting to be all encompassing and let's all do this together. So there's that conflict there, story conflict. Um, But the point here being many people say, Oh, the heart, my heart chakra is so open. Yeah, maybe so. But in the wisdom teachings, it said that the heart chakra and the crown chakra, very few humans actually have those going on in their human lives. They're more about connection to the higher realms, if you will. But the aspirational solar plexus is our human version of the heart chakra. Here's why. You don't have a heart chakra character unless they are doing the supreme sacrifice. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Because anything that comes from the heart chakra has to be for the greatest good, for the greatest number, without any reward for yourself. And people on that usually end up like this, you know, like hanging on a cross. Sure. So you can put, you know, William Wallace in there. Right. Braveheart, right? Absolutely. When you, when you go out and sacrifice your life to save others, which is not to say that that, that uh, aspirational solar plexus, people don't do a lot of sacrificing too. They always get a little something out of it. You get to feel righteous. Right, of course. Or you get a little praise or you get an award and that's all fine. But in stories, it's really rare for someone to do that big sacrifice. It's more for uh, the greater good, the cause, uh, a purpose. Yes, for, and it's in the wisdom teachings it said for all of humankind. Mm. So if your sacrifice isn't doing something that will benefit anybody, anywhere, at any time, it's not quite a heart center thing. Got it. It may be fine. It's all good. But that's how you can make a character stand out even above you know, the others who are doing good things, who are being heroic. So you can demonstrate then the chakra that a, a character has moved to depending on their actions, obviously, and, and where they, how their actions change across the story. And I, I know you've got this concept of archipaths, with, I th- which I think is just fascinating um, when you add that into archetypes and, and can contrast with them. Um, do, you, do you draw a, a comparison or, or do you bring together the concepts of archipaths and chakras. Oh, yes, very much so. And, and thanks for bringing that up. 
I also learned about the arc of paths when I was studying the physics of metaphysics. And the arc of paths are a system that's used in many of the deeper spiritual teachings of many different systems, whether it's Hindu, Sumerian, Egyptian, mystic Christianity, whatever. And there are five paths to enlightenment, the path of the warrior, the path of the clergy, the scientist, the magician, and the lover. Hmm. And you can put any archetype under any of the arc paths. You can have a warrior mother, right? Sure. You can have uh, you know, a poet scientist. You can have the, uh, what's one of the most, oh, the orphan or the martyr. You know, you, so you can, you can move all those around. And because the archipass of the warrior, clergy, scientist, magician, and lover, each has three levels, then you can get into a chakra rise or a chakra drop. Cool. And those levels are, just like in most initiatory systems, like if you're familiar with masonry, you know, you've got your first degree, second degree, third degree. Um, you've got the the soldier who just takes orders and is learning the skills of the warrior path. Then you have the warrior who is very skilled, who takes orders from above, but also gives orders, leads people, is out there in the battlefield performing the goals and the missions of the warrior. Yeah. And then that third level up is the, uh, the regent, the person who's actually in control of everything. I find it interesting too, Ross, in the uh, path of the scientist, the first level is the student. And then the next level is the scientist, you know, actively out there. And wow, side note, story ideas, read science daily every day, at least one article, preferably three. You will get so many story ideas, sciencedaily.com. I like that. All right. Yeah, it's everything from ancient civilizations to uh, quantum nanotechnology. Cool. Yes. Yeah. So sciencedaily.com. Absolutely. But the third level of the scientist path is the philosopher. Mm. Because they're trying to grasp all of reality. Right. So the system of the archipass is really helpful for character creation, character refinement. Um, each of the profiles has you know a, a different mission a different way of accomplishing it different strengths different weaknesses and a lot of this you're probably already using as writers to tell your stories you're doing it intuitively our goal is for people to use these tools more consciously absolutely and then you can be more adept at these character portrayals and the character arcs and the flaws and etc. In order to bring your characters to life and make them feel maybe more dynamic and uh, engaging. But yes, yes. So and yeah, we want to see some change, and this will help you map your changes. That's fascinating. That's a great a great point about being able to map the change. Would you say that archetypes are generally more static and archipaths are more dynamic? Um, they're more yeah yeah <laughs> I, it, it's, it <laughs> it's interesting because you said that um you know an archetype can move between between archipaths mm -hmm. and that concept to me is pretty fascinating that 
it's what I like about your your theories that you've laid out are that they they intertwine. They're not they're not independent of each other, and I think that's pretty powerful, especially when you can apply them all to a set of characters. Yes, very much so, and I think it helps us to remember that the people who created many of the myths that have lasted through the eons were real conscious of this stuff. Mm. They came out of the mystery schools, let's say, the wisdom teachings. And they had studied all this and they had this knowledge passed down through the years. And some of it was written down, some of it you learn at the foot of the master. But yeah, you know, you look at the, um, the labors of Hercules or look at uh, Odysseus's journey back from Troy to Ithaca. Mm-hmm. It follows the chakra run you know, rising up through the chakras, the different challenges the characters meet. It's just turned into story. Yes. And I think that's one thing that fascinates me so much is it's such a, it feels like such a natural process for characters to follow instead of saying, okay, we're going to start with this character attribute and then somewhere flip into this character attribute. (laughs) But, but if you, if you take this path of, um, looking at the archetype and looking at the shockers and how a character can move through it, it can feel, I suspect, more uh, natural. And you might not even notice when the change happens, but it's just, it's amazing when it does. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. Yes. And there are a lot of, as you noted in Inner Drives, there are a lot of ways that you can uh, symbolically show a person's chakra shift. Great. And whether in, uh, let's say, filmmaking or, you know, the visual media, medium of stage, film, you can change their wardrobe. You can change their gestures. I teach this to actors and how you will, you will act and you will speak differently when you're at different chakras. For instance, if you're at the, the root and it's all about survival, you're kind of stalking around and you're tense and you're and your voice may be deep, you know, the aggressor, or kind of quavering and fearful if you're not. And then at the sacral chakra, which is the next one up, which is sex, fear, and money, then your, well, your words are going to become different. Because if you're operating from that sexual, sensual place, well, you know, don't you? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and then you go on up and you get maybe to the throat chakra, which is all about conscious creativity, logic, rational thought. And then you start using, we wouldn't quite call it persiflogenous badinage, but it is a lot of very big words, you know, with four syllables each. And you want to have the erudition to get your idea across. And you'll probably line up all the things on your desk because you're very meticulous. So there are wonderful ways using the chakra system to give character portrayals and show changes as a character moves around on the chakra system. And that is fascinating because that's, you can have the same motivation and yet it can be expressed in different ways. Oh yes. Oh yes. And this is also something that I taught to uh, the army. I was a consultant for an army think tank for a number of years and would teach, you know, the warrior spirit and the warrior archetype and also taught the chakra system for leadership and communication. Mm. Because when you 
are able to, and you know, this isn't saying sit everybody down and, and spend two hours with them on the couch telling you their story. Right. But when you get familiar with the way the chakras express, and you can look around at, say, your group of 12 people. You say, okay, well, Dan is pretty much on the lower solar plexus. He's always argumentative. Um, Sally's really thoughtful, so we need to talk logic to her. Interesting. George is always itching for a fight. Um, you know, Jeff wants to help people. And so then you tailor your direct communications to them who speak their language. Cool. And then to bring people up, the leader's job is to hold that much higher focus and like a magnet, draw the other people up. You not talk down, but you engage them where they are. And then you start to bring people up. And you see, you see really good speakers doing this anyway. You know, they'll read the room, they'll tell a joke, they'll, you know, make an example of something that, that engages people. Yeah, they raise the energy of the room. That's, they that's raise right. the energy of the room, absolutely, literally. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, right. Uh, How interesting is that? So, um, thank you. That's a, a fascinating explanation okay. of chakras and archetypes and archetypes. And did were you going anywhere else with the mythic structure? Did I? I think I might have cut you off too early there. Oh, well, the mythic structure. Um, let's say again, referring to the chakra system. Sure, yeah. Or to the archipaths with those three levels. Right. The mythic structure is something that takes you on a spiralic change, if possible. Mm. Now, um, it, it's been said, and boy, are things changing, but not, not too many years ago, it was said that you know, masculine story structure is like this. It's linear, and it's usually you know, like an arrow. Okay? And feminine story structure is cyclic. Mm. And you keep, you know, doing the same things and, and that's, you know, it's just the nature of the story. But that mythic story structure is a spiral. So you're cycling, but you're going up. There's progression and yet there's still spiraling. Interesting. And the, the way to uh, signify that spiraling in your stories is to have at least one, an issue that the character keeps coming back to, but from higher turns of the spiral or different turns of the spiral. Cool. Yeah. So whether it's like Indiana Jones, fear of snakes, right? Right. By the you know time he gets to the well of souls, it's like, oh, snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Yeah. But he does it because he's coming from a higher position, a higher chakra, and he's doing it for the greater good for the world that's cool so yeah. that's cool you can you can have the same conflict in different contexts and then the way that the character will approach that conflict has changed absolutely and i was just telling somebody recently i saw that in uh, real live action once at a party and a girlfriend of mine who had been through some romantic changes mm -hmm. and uh, there was this one guy who'd been flirting her up and i said well, what did you think about so-and-so? She goes, oh, he's adorable, but you know what? He's the kind of mistake I used to make. That's a great description. Yeah, I, could, I want to write that in some story someplace. Yeah, well, honestly, that's <laughs> yeah. a great line of dialogue too. Right, you, you get that insight and that wisdom and you no longer make the same mistakes. Yeah. You'll make new ones, they'll be related, but it won't be the same mistake. Yeah, and so in that way you can feel progress 
and yet you're still attached you're attached to the character's journey you see that it's still the same character i love that all of this is character driven since mm-hmm. since that really is what story's about um yeah very much so and um certainly some myths are historical records put to a story like you know the story of the uh the red-haired princess and how two guys were fighting over her and one was the the uh god of the underworld and another was the god of the skies and they battled and battled and battled and yeah don't go near the battleground it's symbolic of a volcano and an eruption cool and the god of the underworld with the earthquakes and then the other one all of the the plumes and the smoke and the pumice and the red hair is the lava princess so some stories are, are just retelling and giving us warning about historical events geological geograph you know things that actually happen that but makes so, sense yeah yeah it's a story is a great way to get across messages but for the most part, the ones that are the most engaging are the ones that are about a character or a group of characters and what they do and the changes they go through, the challenges that they meet, and whether or not it works out well for them. You know, in this idea of um, expressing messages and, um, you know, emotion, passing on emotional knowledge and such, there's another question I wanted to ask you, which is, how can storytellers change the world? Ah, well, say that quote you were saying before we started recording about. Yeah. Um, Plato said, those who tell the stories rule society, which has always resonated with me. Yes. And it's true. Uh, People fall into the story of their ethnicity, of their family, of their town, of their culture, of their nation of their species of their company yeah. what's that of their company as you were mentioning in the game. of their company yes yeah. yes so identity is real important for most humans and today identity politics today ecological dangers um one of the companies i co-founded is mythic challenges and we work with an organization called the millennium project which in conjunction with the United Nations, identified the 15 global challenges. And those range from water supplies, the rich-poor gap, uh, women's status, Mm -hmm. uh, technology, organized international crime, and this wide range of challenges that can be addressed through story. And so our company works with storytellers to pick out a mythic theme and some symbols and character types that they can use to build stories that have a mythic background and a mythic core and yet address current problems. That's great. And for instance, our our pilot project worked with a group of high school students in California and in Afghanistan through Skyping. And um, one of the problems that they selected was water. And uh, another one was the rich-poor gap. And I think another one was ecology. On the rich-poor gap, they selected to use the mythic theme of uh, stealing fire from heaven. Hmm. Or the 
Robin Hood story. So they created this story based on myth and based on human nature and put, you know, a couple of contemporary guys in a neighborhood. They go in and they rob the rich people and they, but oh, they don't take money. They just take stuff like food and clothes and then they go out and give it to the homeless people. Interesting. Yeah. So a way to use mythic themes and symbols and archetypes in your stories to get across the points you're trying to make. People have been doing these things for thousands of years. We need to remember it. We can bring it back into our stories that are addressing any of these world problems that we're all facing and give your stories that extra sizzle, that extra sparkle. Yeah. I know our defenses are lowered when we hear stories, you know, we're more receptive to different moral arguments that we wouldn't be in a logical debate. It's so true. So true. So I would say for anybody who wants to deal with an issue, look and see if there's not some myth, some mythic theme that reflects that and then go in and, you know, find what the, what about it resonates for your particular uh, genre or style that you want to present the story in and run with it. It can be very effective. Yeah. I love that. I, I love the concept of being able to express moral arguments through character change and through, through just mythic structure, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and then another thing I was thinking as well is I guess it would depend on the audience you're looking to address in terms of, you know, the shocker that they might be on. And so how you want to address them. That's, that's yes, yes, very much so. And um, yeah, always keeping that in mind or, or what part of, you know, who's the audience and what part of them do you want to reach? Mm. Absolutely. But yeah, certainly for change, it's a whole lot easier to get people engaged when you're, you're doing a story thing as opposed to a preachy thing. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. I mean, I've, I've learned so much um, and I've, I've really got a new perspective on character, just character driven story um, structure and, and how a character can move between different archipaths and deal, have the same motivation and um, have it be expressed in different ways through, through different chakras. So thank you for that. Good, good. Well, I've enjoyed it. It's, it's been an engaging conversation. Thank you so much. Same for me. So I've been speaking with Pamela J. Smith, and uh, of course, I've learned a great deal, and I'm sure our listeners have too. Um, if you want to learn more about Pamela, her consulting company, and her books, go to kingo.com slash podcasts, and I'll have a link to Pamela's website as well as her books. Uh, and is there anything else you would like to say? Yes, one more thing. Yeah. I think it behooves us to remember that as writers, as storytellers, we're like Parsifal in the myth of the Holy Grail. And Parsifal went out looking for the Holy Grail. So did a bunch of the other knights. Uh, Galahad, who was, you know, the party boy. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Was, Gawain was the party boy. Galahad was the innocent. And so those three were present when the Grail showed up. And Galahad, because he was innocent and pure, was able to see the Grail, to see the light. And he was taken up into the light. Gawain, he couldn't even see it. He couldn't even see it. He's probably hung over that day. 
so lesson for him. But Parseval saw the light, but he was still part of the world. So mm. he was not taken up into the light. But what Parseval did was he could then go and tell everybody else about it. Yes. And show them how it affected him and tell the story of you know, this and that and how this happened and what you need to do. So storytellers are like Parseval. And you are a gatekeeper in a way. And people may not be able to see what you see, but they can see you and you can point to the light. So being in that position of uh, helping make that bridge for people. Absolutely. That is a fantastic story and a fantastic uh, metaphor for, for storytellers. That that's a, actually answers my first question, what makes a great story. I want to thank Pamela J. Smith again for sharing her story wisdom with us. Check the show notes for a link to her website and to her books, which are a great addition to any writing and storytelling library. Before I end the show, I want to tell you about the Kingo Story Lab. We're a creative studio of passionate writers who meet regularly online to help each other finish our books and screenplays. Join us to take part in discussions with special guests in the industry, including published authors, working agents, and creative writing teachers. Find your place in a group of writers who will help you brainstorm writing problems, exchange feedback, and give you the tools to combat writer's block. You can sign up for free for 30 days and cancel at any time. So join us today and find out what getting serious about your writing looks like. You can learn more and sign up at kingo.com. That's K-I-I-N-G-O.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter to get storytelling wisdom in your inbox. That's all for today. Now, let's get to work and write some great stories.